A surprise? <laughs> I'm curious. Just focus on the top four. No one else is in here. I would be surprised if we get 300 plus once uh, is in here. But honestly, you're making, you're scaring him. Nah, I'm, honestly, I feel like this is like a super chill format. Like you're on the phone. Like you know, it's not like people are seeing you and you know. I like I'm right now, guys, in like sweatpants. You know, I'm, I'm just chill. I'm just vibing out. So, I mean, it's it's a pretty chill format. I'm really enjoying the spaces and. Uh, yeah, you can pretty much be doing whatever you want. So yeah, and it's not like you have the audience right in front of you, you know, it's right. like going up onto some sort Yeah, you of can also again. talk and just press the top arrow at the top left, and it will just minimize all the icons so you don't have to picture anyone's even in here. Does that help? Oh, that's an awesome idea. Yeah, you can just minimize and just pretend no one but Mewtwo's in here. philosophical question at the end if you're okay with answering something like that I just of wanna... course okay cool 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 yeah man, absolutely um you know okay so it's funny talk about crowds um once upon a time i was the vocalist for a metal band uh we never toured nationally but i think the biggest crowd we ever played to was like 1300 and i gotta tell you when you get up on stage Whoa. that's not like a small lights, crowd no that was plenty of people um, the lights like click off, and you just look out, and it's just a sea. That's a that's a challenging moment. That's a challenging. Yeah, moment. no that shit. That's crowd. wild. Fifteen hundred's a big crowd. They weren't all there for us, to be clear. We were opening, but still, that's still, a lot of no, that's a lot of pressure and a lot of eyeballs. Yeah, it was a ton of Dude, I was waiting tables at Cafe de and I had ministry come in. singers, you know, Prince and you know, 
shot pools, the, the, the Eagles, and I mean, just on and on and on. But it never phased me because I always look at them as normal people, right? But I swear to God, if I get in the room with our Jules, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to be like a babbling bitch and I can't even put a sentence together. <laughs> that will kill me because I'm such a techie dude. You know, that will kill yeah. me. Because I won't get the words out of people like, but, 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 sticky. Right. Absolutely. I'm, that's one thing that I'm definitely looking forward to when, when the day comes finally, when we have the ability to, to have, yeah, I mean, we have SmartCon in person, right? That'll be beautiful. That'll be really beautiful. I'm looking forward to that. Or at least the next conference where everybody's there. Um, Absolutely. So I haven't met Sergey in person, but my favorite thing about him is how candid he is. Uh, And also, he's a really good listener. If you have an idea, if you bring something up, he will hear you out and, like, he kind of makes you feel like you're the only person in the room when you're sharing your thought, which I think is a really admirable quality. Uh, of somebody that is a so high high octane all the time, right? Is they have such high impact thoughts in general, but to stop and really listen and think about what somebody else is saying to them, even if it's not necessarily somebody that's a high, I don't know, a high profile person. I don't know. He's a good listener. You know, I get that point, and it's very important when somebody has that trait. My, my brother, you know, works for an unnamed agency that has just retired. He's exactly like that. He wasn't like that in his younger years. And, and I noticed that about him. It just, it doesn't matter. Whoever it is, whether it's me, my son, or my daughter talking, he's just intently listening, asking questions, dissecting, and, and exactly that, absorbing. That's just respectful, and that's just the sign of ultimate intelligence, I'll tell you. Absolutely. Look who's here. CLG. Hey guys, how you doing? You guys talking about SmartCon? No, I was so fucking disappointed last year when it went from a physical event to an online event. Like, it was still a great event. Don't get me wrong, but like, it's it's gonna be something unique once it's actually in person. That's gonna be that's gonna be pretty exciting. This excites me. It does. Is it in person this year? No. Damn. Yeah, I don't think so. We may have to get a little uh, base-based booth or some merch going for the next event. <laughs> yeah. Thank God I was right there with you, man. I was crushed because that was my day. I was going to go. I was going to accidentally bump in with my coffee to Sergey and say, oh, you drink this too. <laughs> or something. <laughs> Smooth. Smooth. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, hell yeah. I think, uh, I think we're good to get started, gentlemen. Um, so basically, guys, the way I just wanted to go over a few a few ground rules before we got get into it. Um, basically, if you want to speak after um, I go through the initial questions, just kind of raise your hand uh, with the raise a hand emoji. And then if you see me do the fist emoji, that just means to be quiet. It's probably time to move on to the next question. So I know sometimes we can get sidetracked um, and get really into it. So just keep that in mind. Um, kind of did want to go around and just do quick introductions because I do feel like we have new people here. I'm sure people are, um, most people know who you guys are, but just in case people don't, uh, I'll start off. Um, I am Mewtwo. I am the founder of the Base Space and uh, love Link. Really, really happy to have the guys from Link Pool here. Uh, I guess, Chase, you want to go next? 
here. Welcome to the base space. I'm Chase, and uh, I'm part of the staff to help kind of build out this new and flourishing uh, community we got going. Tell you, um, Crapto, you want to go next? Yeah, my name is Rich, not Crapto, but anyways, might as well just dox myself a little bit. You know, I'm just an ordinary guy that likes to see the future when it comes to tech, and you know, I love everything that's in the premise. Um, you know, I love the community and I love the direction and the intelligence that we're going. I mean, we're definitely, we're shattering milestones. Super high, you want to wanna go next? Yeah, um, so you can call me super high or LinkedIn, doesn't really matter. I, you know, I'll respond to shitposting frog, but uh, I'm the community manager for the base space. So really, I just focus on outreach, you know, getting these people onto the episodes and uh, just building relationships for the future. Uh, and also creating memes and uh, studying in the background. Hell yeah, Chainlink God. I'm sure you don't need an introduction, but maybe just give some of the people a quick intro. Yeah, I don't want to sound egotistical, but I don't know how much of an intro I need. So I'm, I'm Chainlink God. I'm that one frog on Twitter who's obsessed with Chainlink and then posting about Chainlink every single day of my life, pretty much. So yeah, I, I would say that pretty much sums it up. Very base, yes, indeed. And Eric, and Eric, can you just give like a quick, quick intro of who you who you are and uh, what you do at LinkPool? Yeah, absolutely. So my name's Eric. Uh, I'm the community lead at LinkPool. I also work on the business development and research side there. Um, also, do some community development for the Smart Contract Research Forum. Uh, you know, so at LinkPool, I've been there for a couple of years now. I started up in the top of 2019. I guess that's a question we'll get to in a little bit here, but. Um, yeah, so I focus on, on building and growing our community and, you know, sourcing deals and determining use cases and engaging with other organizations that need Chainlink node services. Oh, yeah. We're really, really excited to have you here, Eric. Um, everyone's super, everyone in the community was super pumped. People popping, popping off of the Discord. Just everyone's super excited uh, to learn more about the project and kind of Taking it uh, back to you, Eric, uh, really, really curious, like, how'd you get involved in the crypto space? Yeah, absolutely. So I don't have a tech or computer science background necessarily, but, um, you know, I've been aware of Bitcoin for a long, long time. It was not something that I necessarily considered uh, as an investment vehicle until, you know, later than I wish I had, considering I knew about it. But I got engaged interested in Ethereum and smart contracts in 2017, you know, and I think it's a, it's a pretty clear path from there for a lot of us, right, really. Um, learning about smart contracts and how they're going to reshape the world of digital agreements, uh, and then finding out about the Oracle problem in general, right? So, you know, I got really, really interested in, in Chainlink at the top of 2018, um, and
part and parcel of that too, I was learning about people that are doing work in the Chainlink ecosystem, right? Um, it's like, well, I have this link, you know, I'm not going to run a node. I don't know how. Who is helping people that are like me, right? And I think it was a pretty quick path to Linkpool. I read about what they were doing, read about their plans for the future, and I, you know, identified that they were a really, really small team at the time. You know, it was just a core handful of people. Uh, and I showed up and I said, hey, I want to help. Like, let me help you guys run the Telegram. Let me help you guys run. And that was pretty much all there was at the time. There was a subreddit, too. There still is a subreddit. They don't need anybody helping run that because nothing happens there. But that's Reddit. Um, but so it quickly became, it grew out of a larger role than that, right? At top of 2019, I show up, I start helping out with some moderation stuff and some management stuff and doing some copy editing. And rapidly, this is a period of time where basically everybody on the Linkpool team was was working for free. Uh, you know, me, the, the business development lead, Ian, our front-end developer, Bart, uh, it was just like everybody shows up and pitches in how they can, when they can, where they can. And I think that's the case for a lot of really early startups. Um, and that role developed over time, and, and I'm glad to be at Linkpool full-time now. You know, like I said, I'm a community lead. Uh, help out on the business development team. Help out with research. Uh, you know, identifying where we're going to need to be or what we're going to need to be doing, like talking about new products potentially, you know, early on in the E2 staking, like I compiled a bunch of research for us and started talking about potential models for trustless staking and how that would work and what would need to be in place before we would be able to do it in a really trustless way, that kind of stuff. So uh, I think with small teams early on, one of the things that's most important is the ability to identify what needs to happen and be willing to do anything, right? Because when it's small teams, everybody's just working like 60, 70 hours a week. I think Johnny works probably 80 hours a week on average right now. And that's like on kind of a, a, a normal week for him. But so the ability to, to look around, see what everybody else is working on, figure out how you can pitch in and then identify new things before they need to get worked on. So I think that's a, a major skill that yeah, to be honest, it's a pretty common theme. Um, when we had the guys from Woo in here, um, they said the same thing around uh, volunteering, and that's how they got involved in the project. So for everyone listening, I know we have a lot of listeners that are looking to get involved in crypto and start up. That definitely seems like a really solid way to break into the industry, just like Eric said, just like Ben from Woo said, if you guys were on that episode. Um that's really, really um, seems to be the theme uh, with everyone that we've we've spoken to so far, and how they got, how they jumped in. Yeah, it's hard to to feel like I should tell people they should work for free, right? If somebody's jumping onto our team, I'm not really interested in, in making them do work for free, right? But I think the reality is, like you say, you look around and there's a lot of people that the way they got in was they just showed up and started helping. And they identified ways to help. I think that's an important thing is identifying the ability to identify something and just start doing it and then check in and say, hey, look, here's something I worked on for you. Uh, you know, like I said, it's hard for me to tell people that they should work for free or be willing to work for free, but it's, there's also a big element of hustle that is, is necessary. So. 
Yeah, I also feel like it really shows that you're you're passionate, you know, um, about the projects. It looks like Eric dropped off. Um, it really shows that you're like passionate about the projects, um, passionate about actually working on it. I mean, everyone on the base base, we're all volunteer. Um, I'm sure CLG. I'm sure that's how you started as well. No, you just started uh, helping out just organically. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it kind of started off as just like me shit busting, but then over time, I just mm-hmm. educated people, and you know, I was doing that. It's completely pro bono for people. That's still what I'm doing on CLG. You know, I don't, I don't expect anything out of it. I just want to link pill other people the way that people link pilled me. You know, kind of give it back to the community, so to speak. And plus, I feel like uh, if you're not working for free at first in crypto and you want a future in crypto, then what are you doing? Because I mean, you have to come to the realization that you may not know as much as you think you know, and really just get in on the ground floor and just listen. Like in here, I listen a lot more than I speak. It's because there's so many people in here that know more than I do on certain subjects, and it's something I want to do in the future. So CLG, I definitely look up to you, and I, I know a lot of people in the community do. So um, yeah, that's probably how I'll give back to is just <laughs> link filling a ton of people a year from now. You know, I think I think he keeps the most coolest head out of all of us, and you know. When he talks, it's eloquent, it's educational, and anybody that comes in to throw a little fud in or challenge it with just stupid logic, I mean, we, we all hammer up just because we don't want him to be tarnished. <laughs> Jane Legati, you, you know, you, we know you do this for free, and you have to know how many lives you've changed throughout crypto Twitter and, and people's financial aspects of their lives. I mean, it's it's huge, and your karma is so fucking glowing, my brother. You deserve it. Deserve it back tenfold. Appreciate yeah, that. I, I words. yeah, I can't agree more. Can't agree more. Oh, we got air back. And another thing I want to add about the volunteering for crypto projects, like you don't have to know code or anything like that. Like, there's a huge problem in crypto right now with marketing. Like, if you know graphic design. Or video editing or like anything promoted like even marketing basics google search engines like that type of stuff is huge just volunteer help in any way you know how you don't have to learn something to volunteer i've worked for a few crypto projects just doing like graphic design and video work i learned through college like i'm, I'm I, I just do it freelance and i've worked for over five projects i believe in so far uh, for free, but at least I got to know more and like, and like get contacts with like literally the creators of these projects. That we're hearing here, here is just passion, right? Like if you have a passion for this space and you bring a particular set of skills, like there's a way that you can add value to the overall community and find your niche area in this space. So, um, find your passion. Yeah, I was gonna say, let alone just educate your your dentist, your doctor, your your beautician, or you know your barber, or whoever you know, everybody, your neighbor, educate them on what's coming, and they will thank you to the end of time. And I've had so many people come back to me and say thank you for opening my eyes because this is an opportunity where we're exposed to something at the ground floor. We're not, we're not, you know, sitting in a hedge fund going, oh, you know, we got the inside trade on this. No, we're far beyond that. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. This is a, 
it's an exciting time, and I think that, you know, to your point, you know, like I indicated earlier, like I pointed out earlier, Chainlink Labs has a ton of positions open for super non-technical positions. You look around at some of the job boards, that's the case for a lot of these projects. You know, uh, I, I think, at least for me as a non-technical person, the clearest path was basically to just show up and start helping. Uh, and over that time, I developed a lot of skills that uh, ended up being the prerequisite sort of for me developing the job that I have now, which is a lot of fun. Maybe I'm biased, but like what I've seen talking to other projects is like having an active Twitter profile where you're actually sharing knowledge is legitimately better than an actual resume itself. Like if you can actually prove, you know, your skills in the environment where crypto lives, like that's going to go much, much further than saying you have XYZ credentials because that, you know, that doesn't really matter. It's what you've actually done and what you've said that matters to most projects from what I've seen. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. If you want to do something for a living, or you want to get involved in a space doing something, you should just start doing that thing. And you'll be able to point back towards a body of work. You know, it's like, uh, I'd rather hire a full stack candidate that has built up even a fairly rudimentary, uh, you know, DAP with a front end that has some cool logic and it pulls in from a chain like pricey or whatever, uh, even if a lot of it is, like I said, pretty rudimentary over somebody that, just graduated with a CS degree, so I mean, not to say you shouldn't get a CS degree, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I agree with all you all with all you guys. I mean, real world experience and actually building up an online portfolio. Um, it's how I personally landed my first job out of college. So um, <laughs> college degree didn't really help me out uh, too much, to be honest. Uh, to, to do what I'm currently doing, so. Um, I'm on the same page. Kind of taking it back to Linkpool, Eric, can you uh, tell people like what Linkpool is? I feel like we have a lot of uh, new people in here that are just getting into crypto. They might not fully understand what the project does and what it's really about. Yeah, man, absolutely. I'd love to. I just want to also say hi to, to Mike and to Max and to Kyle and to our main man, Skelly, in the crowd. Rec Williams, listening in. Appreciate you. Um, so Linkpool, our core mission, uh, alongside being you know, a, a top-tier Chainlink node operator that's intending to be at the forefront of all Chainlink services that are being offered, right? We want to be synonymous with, or rather, we want to be the platonic ideal of a Chainlink node, right? We want to have the highest uptime. We want to offer every service possible, and we want to be on every network. That's a core goal of ours, of course, right? And our other goals are reducing the barrier to entry to meaningfully participating in the Chainlink network, and also increasing transparency in the Chainlink network. Um, and what that really boils down to is we offer a kind of a set of products, right? Uh, for retail link holders, uh, no, I'm going to preface this by saying staking is not yet live, right? Chainlink staking isn't live. I don't know when it's coming. Don't hit me with the win. Um, but so we have developed a set of trustless pooled staking contracts. The idea is that once staking does go live, uh, retail link holders will have the ability to pool their link, that'll be staked onto a node, and it'll be able to pay out a pro rata portion of the rewards earned by that link. And that might sound like, yeah, of course that's the thing, right? But I think that if you aren't so familiar with the way validator nodes and potentially some of the contracts work in the space, is that may well not be developed at the protocol level by the Chainlink team, right? I don't expect that that's going to be a thing that is, is developed at a protocol level necessarily. 
that's also the case on a lot of other you know proof of stake blockchain networks. Uh, the the tooling and the contracts for a retail holder to be able to stake onto a validator, those oftentimes aren't developed at the protocol level, and that's a third party tooling that is developed. Um, you know, obviously the staking mechanism in Chainlink works a lot different than POS validators. I probably don't need to say this to you, but you guys know this. Um, so that that's a product we developed. Uh, basically to enable participation by retail link holders. Uh, the second kind of tier of users that we target is kind of power users, right? People that have the infrastructure chops to, whether that's spin up their own chain link node or develop their own external adapters, or that are building their own dApps. One of our core tools that we've developed kind of to help users that are in that sort of set is market.link. Market.link is the chain link market. A lot of the images and stuff that you guys see from metrics and and exploring and looking at nodes and comparing nodes and seeing data and things of that nature, that's from our site, market.link. The idea is that you should be able to go on there and get a really transparent look at the network, what's happening in the network activity. Uh, you can check out different nodes. Uh, and another thing is, obviously, if you're a node operator or you're a developer, the hope is that you can go on there List your node, list your external adapter, you know, you develop an external adapter that, you know, pulls down a novel data source, parses that, has the ability to pass that to a chain link node, you can list that on there. And so other people can find your adapter and, and add to their own node and spin up jobs for it. Um, and then a third kind of users that we target, this is a, a smaller group, but it's enterprises, uh, funds, firms, some data providers where we spin up chain link nodes. Uh, and essentially help bring them online and manage the node for them. And that's, of course, is our Chainlink managed node service. I guess that's a, it's a smaller portion of our business, but it is an important one to us. Uh, yeah, that's sort of the high-level overview. You know, we have some other small tooling like Bridges, which is a framework for developing Chainlink external adapters. Uh, you know, we've got a metrics API that we're working on right now. Yeah, that's sort of the high-level overview. Do you have any questions about any of those? For someone yeah. who's – oh, sorry. Go ahead, Connor. Uh, for someone who's new to like crypto, can you explain like the function of a chain link node and like what they do? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think that everybody's heard the term Oracle problem or they've heard Oracle, right? The idea is that smart contracts don't have the ability to access external data, right? So what a chain link node does is it's an element that is both on and off chain and it has the ability by using this, this piece of code called an external adapter, you can configure those to hit some API, say it's uh, Sportmonks. They've got a really great data service for cricket, soccer, and I think it's uh, Formula One racing. I think it's kind of the three uh, forces of data that they offer. So the idea is we can configure an external adapter that'll hit their API, it'll pull down some piece of data, It'll parse that data in the way that the, the smart contract is expecting to receive it. It'll write that information on chain, and that'll execute a smart contract, right? So the chain link node is the piece of software or the pieces of software that sits on the, like on the, the bridge between on-chain and off-chain, pulls that data from off-chain, and writes it on-chain. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Thank you very much. I actually put it, like, super straightforward. Cool. Good. Eric, I had, a, I had a question. You had mentioned earlier about the different tiers of kind of people that would operate or interact with Link Pool. 
Yeah, I'd imagine a lot of us probably fall within that tier of retail investors here in this space. Could you kind of like walk us through what our relationship would look like with Linkpool if we went to stake, uh, stake our current link that we have? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, without giving away too much information, we have developed these contracts, right, that will allow a retail link holder to have the ability to have their link in their wallet. And we're planning to, to make these contracts available to other node operators. You know, I think we'll talk about it a little bit in just a second here, right? The LPL token, the link pool token. Um, let's ignore that for now. The idea is that you'd be able to essentially come onto our staking app, find our node, find other nodes, identify who you'd like to stake with, and essentially you would deposit your link via a trustless pooled staking contract. So nobody could withdraw your link but you. You know, obviously, I think one thing that's important to realize or think about is that um, the reality is that that link is going to go onto the node, right? It's going to be used as collateral on contracts or on jobs or however exactly that's going to work, right? I think there's some details there that we're not 100% clear on, which is okay. But the idea is that you would be the only person that could withdraw that. So that's the trustless element. That's part of the, the, the difficult part of that, right, is that the node operator themselves doesn't have the access to withdraw that link. Um, you know, obviously, they'd potentially be subject to slashing or, or things of that nature, but, um, you know, different node operators are going to offer different guarantees in that way. Uh, but the other side of the magic, kind of, right, is that you're going to then receive your proportionate share of the rewards. So if there's 10,000 links staked onto a node and you've got 1,000 links staked onto it, why God, you better get 10%, you know? And that's essentially the way those contracts will work, is you'll be able to stake your link onto it. Uh, you'd be the only one that could withdraw it, and you'd get your proportionate share of the rewards. I guess that seems like it just like makes perfect sense, right? But the actual solution there is not trivial. So, 100%. And I think that's a good transition as well to like the LPL token. A lot of uh, the community members were wondering like what the token is, like how, how it's actually used uh, within LinkPool. Yeah, man, absolutely. My screen just went dark. I don't know why. I think I need a visual thing. But uh, so, okay, so back shortly after the Chainlink token offering, Linkpool held a small crowd sale. We raised some ETH, and that allowed our co-founder and CTO Johnny the ability to work full time on our contracts. Right. So at that time, we held this crowd sale, uh, and we essentially sold off a quarter of our future fees. It's a claim on future fees. Uh, and the idea is that link pool token holders can stake their token and they get a proportionate share of all the rewards earned by link pool nodes, link pool services like markets.link, any of those monetization elements that we kick in on those things. Uh, and as a part of that, right, you stake the link pool token, you also get an allowance token that in the future will let you stake a link onto the node. There's an element that I think is something that Chainlink node operators are going to be thinking more and more about in the future. It separates Chainlink staking from, say, staking onto Ethereum nodes, right? Staking onto an Ethereum validator node. There is kind of an element of a maximum useful capital on a Chainlink node. This is like a theoretical thing in the future. Let's imagine you've got your node, right? Uh, and you have your number of jobs that require a stake, and that total amount of staked link that's necessary is 100,000, right? It's 100,000 link. You know, hopefully you're going to keep doing those jobs and you're going to take on more jobs and it's going to require more capital, which is going to allow you to earn more and more. But let's say for the sake of argument that at that time, 
100,000 is the maximum amount of useful capital in there, right? For capital efficiency's sake, you don't want to put 200,000 on there, right? Because then there's just 100,000 that's not actually doing anything, right? You're going to want some kind of buffer probably, but the idea is that only that 100,000 link will actually be used. So the notion of this allowance token allows us in part to, to gate access to staking on the node, mostly for the sake of capital efficiency. We're looking forward to a future where, and it's part of this article that we released, this ERC-20 migration uh, and new staking platform, for the notion that staking link onto the node is going to be part of a greater DeFi strategy set, right, where you're going to pool your link, and some of it's going to go to the staking on the node, some of it's going to go to a canonical DeFi vault where you're earning yield via different strategies, yada, yada, yada. Um, but again, I think that it's the case with the node that there's this maximum useful capital. And so the LPL token, you stake that, you get the link allowance token back. And that will be kind of your ticket into the pool, is what I like to say sometimes. But um, So you both get the, the proportionate share of the rewards and the ability to stake on the node or even loan out your your ticket to stake on the node. So Eric, is there, is there a possibility that there's a cycling of the collateral pools, if you will? Uh, expand what you mean by that. So, you know, obviously you don't want to have the first to, you know, have one pool of the first people to add collateral always take, you know, or reap the benefit of being the main collateral for all contracts. So if you had a cycling between the pools, it would be evenly distributed and, and you know, encourage more people to add to pools and create additional pools. Sure, right. So if I'm understanding you correctly, the idea would be, let's say, you know, you, me, and Chainlink God are going to stake onto a node, right? Chainlink God's a whale, so he's got, uh, he's got 100 link, right? You and me only have 10. All they need is 100 link. So he stakes his 100 link onto the node, and that's it. Neither of us can get in. Is that what you're saying? Well, what I'm saying is, okay, you get into pool one, you have 100 link. Chainlink God gets into pool two, and I get into pool three. Now... You know, based on that premise that, you know, it could cycle between all three pools and we could all reap a percentage of using our collateral. Sure. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so I think that it's difficult to know exactly how it's going to work, right? Hopefully our vision as Link Pool is that there's going to be a future where, you know, you can, you can choose to pool with different node operators, right? Uh, so it wouldn't just be that maybe you and I could only get into pools two and three, but rather, via use of these allowance tokens, we have access to all those pools in a proportional amount, right? So, if that makes sense. Uh, so, instead of just it being first come, first serve into one pool, you know, your link allowance token would allow you to stake across these sets, maybe some DeFi strategies, one on the link pool node, etc. I hope that answers your question. I don't know that I did. Makes sense. Uh, I had a question real quick, Eric. So you mentioned the LPLA allowance token being like your ticket onto the node. Would you need, is that required uh, almost like a VBNT to send back to, in order to get your LPL and your link? Bless you for asking because, yes, that's a, you know, bad, bad product management on my end. So the idea is that, uh, right, so we have, I can walk you through the whole life cycle. You have your LPL token. You stake your LPL token. That gives you your proportional share 
of the rewards earned by the link pool node and by other services and things of that nature. It also gives you that link LPLA token, which is the ticket to stake onto that pool, right? If you want to withdraw your LPL, you'll need to return that same amount of link LPLA in order to get unwind that LPL position, essentially, right? So yeah, you're exactly right. You'll need that LPLA. So if anybody's out there, they've got LPL staked, they're not sure what the heck they're supposed to do with the link LPLA, what you should do is just hold on to it. Um, don't sell it. You know, there's going to be a future where you're going to be able to loan that out via a contract, earn a proportionate share of other people's staked rewards when they borrow your LPLA. But yeah, so the idea is hang on to that link LPLA for now. I know you're sitting there and you just want to do things with it, but don't touch it. Yeah, I, perfect. I think that helps a lot of the younger people too. Cause I was reading. Sorry, my dogs. Um, I was reading uh, a lot of other people were, you know, sending out their VBNT, swapping it for other assets, and then they they finally realized they needed a one to one back to get their VBNT, and I just don't want that to happen for uh, link pool people. Yeah, totally agree. I don't want that to happen either. You know what I mean? Ultimately, the, the the thing is, even if that does happen in the future, you still will get your claim of the rewards if because those LPL tokens are going to remain staked. You can claim your share of the link rewards at any time without unwinding the position, but it'll just be stuck there. So, yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Eric, I, I had a question. I'm, I just want to get clarity around this a little bit more. Yeah. So, link pool will have a lot of different variety of node operators within the link pool ecosystem. Is that right so far? Yeah, it, it's, I think I was a little unclear. It's our hope that we're going to enable other node operators to open their nodes up to retail holders to stake onto them. You know, some of the exact mechanisms there are things that we're still working on and we're still deciding, um, you know, and maybe other node operators are going to tokenize their kind of allowance tokens to stake on their nodes. That's something that we're hoping to help with too. Um, but we hope to be essentially like a gateway into that world of staking on all these other nodes in the future. Okay. Yeah. So like what, what is the um, threshold, if you will, for nodes to enter the link pool ecosystem to whereas the tier one, you talked about the different tiers, right? So as a, a retail investor, um, I'd imagine there's like that brand trust that you have with link pool. And so you may be feeling more confident with a link pool like supported node operator. So what will be kind of the um, requirements, if you will, for node operators to join link pool or will there be any uh, requirements? You know, I think that we're building a trustless space, right? But I think that there's always going to be an element of the desire to, to have some vetting. And I think that we're going to have a level of responsibility for vetting and due diligence um, in terms of in terms of the nodes that we want to let on our, our platform, right? Um, which it sounds like a like a centralized KYC kind of thing. I shouldn't have said that. No, um, you know, ultimately, I think that determining those those processes and those criteria right now is going to be difficult. Um, and I think that it's not something that is is necessarily that we have something laid out for that. But our hope is that we would be joined on this platform by other really high quality node operators, right? Because, you know, we do take our responsibility very, very seriously in terms of, in terms of protecting people that, that work with us, right? I think that everybody should take that very seriously, right? I, you know, I don't ever want anybody to lose any money or get hurt on anything. And that, that would destroy me emotionally. But so I think that in terms of hard requirements, I, we're just not there yet. It's a little early to determine that, but 
No, that was like a super non-answer, but. And for the record, it's four LPL to one link token, correct? Uh, not good at math. Um, so it's I'm, one, you know, so it, this is like an eventually thing, right? When we talk about staking limits, um, the numbers that we're working with in terms of staking limits for like, cause right, you stake the LPL, you get the link allowance token. Um, the estimates that we ran initially were based on, this is going to be like a, a crummy sounding number. The initial estimates that we ran were based on kind of our understanding of the link that link pool token holders had at the time. This is like three years ago, two or three years ago. Right. And the idea was that on launch, it was going to be anywhere from 200 to 800 link tokens stakeable by somebody that had 25,000 LPL basically. And that again, that's a number that's intended to be like, you dip your toe in the pool, right? Nobody's staking their entire link stack at that amount, right? Um, but it's going to grow over time. Uh, you know, a number that we've targeted in the, in the future is basically 10,000 link tokens uh, stakeable by somebody that has 25,000 LPL. I think that shakes down to 0.4 link per LPL token. Again, when we talk about maximum usable capital, um, and that, that ceiling of the 100,000 link or whatever on a note, that again, that number is just an example. But the idea is that as more capital is demanded by a node's jobs and the needs and the staking that's required of it, the, the ratio, the stakeable link per LPL token or per allowance token is going to go up, right? Who knows what that ceiling looks like? Who knows what that's going to look like? I think there's a lot of really cool knock-on effects in terms of a chain link node providing liquidity, uh, I don't you know, I don't want to say a bunch of crazy stuff, but like providing liquidity for uh, fast transfers down from a layer two roll up, right? Uh, I think that that's a possibility in the future. I think that's a, that's a, a pretty good business model in the future. Say a chain link node is running as a validator or verifier on an optimistic roll up, say Arbitrum. Uh, those validators or verifiers have a unique ability to process and identify honest or real, or what's the word I'm looking for, not fraudulent withdrawals down to the ETH layer one, and can front that liquidity and get a fee later for it. So anyway, what I'm trying to say is I think that there's a lot of places that collateral are going to be used by chain link nodes. And so who knows what that maximum capital requirement is going to be on a node. Hopefully there's no ceiling. Hopefully it goes up forever. And I think everybody has to realize everything is still really fluid until, you know, it's written in stone. Oh, yeah. And I think that the reality is there is no written in stone, right? We're at the, I mean, you, you said it earlier, we're at the, like, it feels like it's been going on for so long. We're at the first baby steps of a totally nascent industry, right? When you look at what's happened in the last year, it's like the first time that anything has been out, and this is probably an exaggeration, anything has been out of a proof of concept and there's like, you look around, there's really cool applications. There's really cool stuff you can do now. And we're really actually working with some big organizations. It's exciting. Hey, Eric, I'm, I'm sure a lot of retail investors are also wondering, like, when, they, when they're when they staking uh, their link, is there a particular locking period that you guys are looking to put in place? Can someone just withdraw at any, at any point in time? And that's another thing, right? That's another thing that I think is not 100% determined yet. Um, you know, our initial things that we've talked about is that we don't necessarily want there to be a locking period. 
Um, we'd like for people to have the ability to withdraw at any time. I think the reality is that there there might be, uh, and, this, and this is another one of those things that maybe it's just too early to answer, there might be the requirement to have there be some kind of locking period of time in order to have a buffer. Because um, say you have your Chainlink node running, and the way that the staking works for the majority of your jobs is that you are, as the Chainlink node, required to lock up your capital for a week. You know, who knows if that's exactly how it's going to work. And I think there's going to be a really broad diversity of types of jobs and durations that the capital is required to be locked up for, yada, yada, yada. So I think, yeah, the hope is that for the majority of people, they can stake or unstake whenever they'd like. Uh, there'd be that level of buffer or the ability to withdraw from, say, DeFi protocols. Um, I think it's too early to tell, but, you know, I know the concern there is that they want to be able to get their liquidity out. I think the reality is that I think for most people that would probably be the case. Most people in most cases, that'll probably be the case, but there might be locking periods. Hey, can you imagine not having that place? Because, you know, if you didn't, somebody could, you know, yank their, you know, collateral out in the middle of transactions. <laughs> I mean, it, it yeah. Would... Yeah, I think the way I imagine it is more like these locking periods are enforced on the node side. So the node is required to put up that capital for that duration, right? And that's just locked there. You know, maybe you put in your request to withdraw your collateral and, you know, your request is at the front of the line or something like that. I'm totally spitballing, but um, I think the reality is that there's going to be some types of jobs where you're required to stake on there for some duration of time. And then uh, for retail as well, are, is Linkpool offering any types of dApps or, or tools to kind of make it easier to start staking, uh, especially for those that maybe aren't the most tech savvy? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm just checking the, the URL again. App.linkpool.io, that's our site for staking our LPL token. In the future, that's going to be the same site that you would stake your Link tokens at. Um, you know, you hit that pool, you know, you've got your link pool token staked, your LPL staked, cool, you've got your link LPLA sitting in your wallet, you've got your link sitting in your wallet, you're ready to go, boom, you just click that stake button and you'll be able to, to, to stake that up into whatever pool you'd like. You know, obviously staking is not yet live, please don't send any of your assets directly to our contract addresses, um, it's unfortunate that that's happened in the past, it really is a heartbreaker, um, we don't want people to do that. We're going to have some really, really clear instructions when staking is live. Uh, we'll probably do some videos and things of that nature. But, yeah, the idea is that our, our suite of apps are going to allow you to kind of explore the network of where you can stake, the pool of pools, really. That's awesome. Um, I did want to transition now to kind of um, – Can I ask a question about that real quick first? Thank you. Go for it, bro. Oh, yeah. How much link got bricked sending it to the contract? I don't want to think about it. Come on. Can you really not talk about it, or it just upsets you? I mean, it, it, it does upset me. That's really what it is, right? I mean, like I said, man, the last thing that I ever want is anybody to lose money on something like this, yeah. or anybody to lose money in general. It's it's over a 1000 we'll say that. Oh, yeah, I hear you, yeah. man, but I mean, it's also their fault, right? I mean, you didn't tell anyone to send link to the contract address. Like, it's not ready. Right. You know, it, it, it's, a, it's a thing that I, I think about a lot, right? And it's a thing that I personally oh get concerned by. Yeah, don't, I don't, you know, don't say it. Uh, I mean, you can't say it. It just hurts my heart. Um, you know, so I wrote an article uh, not that long ago for Chainlink Today 
where I talked about ways to avoid getting scammed, right? And not that this is a scam, but I, I hate to see uh, retail investors, or I hate to see somebody who's just learning the space, is getting engaged, who's, you know, got a head full of hope and a heart full of dreams, and they're getting excited by cryptocurrency, and they're getting excited by blockchain. Uh, it, it breaks my heart when that type of stuff happens, where either somebody gets scammed or somebody makes a mistake. I think one thing that I try to instill in my friends, this is maybe the wrong way to put it, but something I try to instill in my friends when they're taking their kind of their first steps, moving their assets out of their Coinbase wallet and under their MetaMask, um, you should be a little bit afraid. You should always be a little bit afraid. And if you're not a little bit afraid, uh, I mean, the reality is that you actually should be, right? Because if you screw something up, you can't take it back. There's no control Z, you know what I mean? This is this is the Wild West. It's permissionless. It's immutable. I can't stop you from screwing up, and I can't fix it if you do. So, did they ever reach out to the team and like say what happened? Was it like retail guy? Was it like someone with a lot of things? Like, is that person gonna be okay? You know, uh, the times that it's happened in the past, people typically do reach out, and they're typically not very happy. Um, yeah, well, like I said, yeah. I, yeah, I'm not trying to harp on it. I know it's upsetting. But no, I it's know. Just, yeah. just, just, I mean, because I've, I've personally bridged crypto in the past, just sending it to the wrong addresses and stuff. So Absolutely. Those types of stories kind of make you feel a little better, you know what I mean? Like, you're, yeah, not, the, you're, not, you're not the only one that's bricked your money. <laughs> yeah, I was actually just about to say something about that. Yeah, uh, I'm really not trying to make fun of them. It kind of makes me feel no. better, you know what I mean? I do, I do. I certainly don't want to make fun of them. Like I said, man, it breaks my heart, and it, it really does. Um, you know, we try to do everything in our power to avoid that type of situation, be clear about things, but, you know, like I said, it's permissionless. I can't stop yeah, it. I mean, even if you're, like you said, transitioning to MetaMask, if you accidentally hit delete one time and just change one fucking number right. or letter, all the money you tried to transfer is gone. Yep. Like, exactly. That's why, that's why you guys truly have to do a test and do one coin. Yeah. And I tell all my buddies, I said, you know what? You're going to go to a different wallet or a different network. Do one. When you know it goes through successfully, it doesn't matter how much you have to pay. At least you have that assurance that, you know, it's, it's going exactly where it needs to go. It's generally why when I make a transaction, it takes like 10 minutes because like I'm super like OCD about it. Like I have to check the address. I have to go make sure it's the right one on either scan. Like it's like a, it's a whole process every time just so I can avoid breaking my own linkies because I... Usually I'm too in, like too impatient to do like one at a time, so I just ape in like everything. So <laughs> I'm super careful. Like when I when I went into like the big data protocol farm, like that took me like 10, 15 minutes just to is this the right address? Is this a scam contract? Like it's definitely something you should be more careful than not in that in that aspect. Yeah, I always try to say slow is fast. Slow is fast. You know, I'd rather miss out on a little bit than lose a lot. Hundred um, percent. I think this is actually a good time to transition to to nodes. Um, we have a lot of people um, in the base space um, that are interested in in uh, starting up their own nodes, but they don't actually know how to how to run them or manage them. Um, the base space itself is actually going to be launching a community fund as well, and uh, there's been interest in in staking uh, part of part of that. Um, Fun, but obviously the members don't actually really know uh, how to do that. I real I saw on your site that you guys have that node as a service. Can you kind of dive into that and how how that works? 
Yeah, I'd be happy to. So the Note is a service product at this time isn't yet live. It's a product we'd like to launch in the future. Um, you know, I think trying to determine when is the right time for that uh, is a little difficult. It depends on a lot of different things, right? I think that we're rapidly approaching a future where, you know, nodes that are run by, by individuals or small teams that aren't like, you know, Stakefish or Chorus One or these teams of really, really high-powered high, high powered, uh, folks that literally have multiple DevOps individuals around the clock working. Um, I think we're rapidly approaching that, right? When we talk about stuff like Chainlink Keepers or we talk about VRF or we talk about other off-chain computation elements or, you know, things of that nature that are, I don't want to say smaller services, but more individual bespoke services um, and even ones that don't necessarily depend on staking, when we look to a future where staking is live as well, I think there's a, a bigger piece of the pie there for some smaller node operators, right? And I think if you had to, for anybody out there that's running a node uh, or wants to run a node, uh, I have to tell you, it's a lot of work. It really is a lot of work. Uh, I can't, and I'm a not technical guy, and I can't tell you the number of times I'm up at two in the morning because pager duty goes off, and I've got to wake up and make sure the stuff that I have control over is not on fire or call Johnny. Uh, and I gotta tell you, he doesn't—he <laughs> typically doesn't like when I have to call him. Um, so it's a really active process, right? There's a lot of things that do break, and there's a lot of moving pieces. And it's, you know, it's nascent technology, and you're relying on APIs, and you're relying on anyway. What I'm trying to say is that it's a lot of work. But if you're looking at, if you want to look to somebody who's a node operator in the space who has their hustle is on 100% of the time, Link River does a really great job. They do incredible stuff. They are actively working in other communities' discords to find people to deliver them Chainlink node services. They'll develop these small adapters. They helped out a ton with the Chainlink hackathon. Um, I know that this doesn't answer your questions, but I really just wanted to shout out Link River because I, oh, hey, I didn't realize, I didn't realize y'all were in here. Um, yeah, they're in here. <laughs> I was yeah, say okay. That. Well, hey, I was juicing you guys up. I didn't realize you were here, but I'm, well, I'm glad that I was anyway. Um, but they're doing incredible work in this space. Um, I know that doesn't is not the question you asked me. Uh, the idea with Node as a service is that, um, like I said, we're looking forward to a future. I can't say exactly when it's going to be because we're trying to, to figure that out ourselves. The idea would be that, this is like my dream hope thing, is that via a smart contract, you pay into a smart contract and there's a recurring monthly service. It spins up your Node automatically. Our smart contract launches and it spins it up in our infrastructure. Uh, you have access to kind of an out-of-the-box Node where you can configure it exactly as you'd like. It does the handoff. It does the transfer of the ownership of the node to you. And Keenan's here, too. My man, Keenan. Oh, wow, a bunch of people here. Um, so it does that, all that handoff automatically, right? Uh, and then whenever it is you're done running that node, it'll spin it down. Uh, you'll be able to withdraw whatever rewards or ETH is still on the node, things of that nature. Yeah. You know, like I said, this is, this is, we're looking towards a future there. Um, like I said, exactly when that's going to be, is a little unclear at this time. Until that time, you know, Linkpool and other node operators are hoping to continue producing resources and tooling that allows people to participate in the network and allows people to get engaged. So, you know, if you look to things like Bridges, uh, if you look to Link River and some of the work that they're doing, producing documents that kind of outline the, the best practices in terms of uh, redundant, reliable services and, and uh, security, things of that nature. That that I, um, it sounds like it sounds like it's definitely still uh, a work a work in progress. Yeah. Uh, 
am curious. I am curious though. Like, with what type of timeline uh, are you are you predicting? Like for the for the service. You know, it really it's it is just really really hard to determine exactly when that would be. Um, because, like I said, there's a lot of moving parts there, and there's a lot of considerations, I think. Um, so it's difficult to put a timeline on it. It's something that we wanted to do since we launched originally back in the day. Um, so really, it just is difficult to put a timeline on it this time. Yeah, no no worries. No worries there. Uh, I know Chase uh, has a bunch of questions about the Chainlink market. Chase, did you want to uh, ask, ask about that? Yeah. So uh, I was diving into the uh, Chainlink market. Um, for everyone in chat, if you want to check it out as we're talking about it, it's market.link. Um, it was super interesting, Eric. I, I don't know if I knew exactly everything that was going on, so I wanted to ask <laughs> a few questions. But um, one, like, like I love seeing this type of data because, like, through data, you can gather insights. And, you know, through insights, you can kind of form uh, investment ideas, opinions, and kind of get, like, a general feel of, like, what, what is going on in the market, right? So one of the questions I had that I noticed was um, I was reviewing the top transactions on the Chainlink market, yep. uh, and the total market cap slash USD appears to have significantly, uh, significantly more transactions than the rest. Like, for, in your opinion, like, why is this? Were you looking at the updates for the last 24 hours one? Yes. I was having okay. trouble loading past 24 hours on my PC, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so <laughs> here's one for you. Uh you actually figured out a bug. Um, <laughs> so one thing is that the uh, if you go to feeds and you sort by updates per 24 hours, um, it doesn't include the OCR nodes. I don't know why, um, but I raised a ticket on our, on our board this morning about it. So to answer your question, though, that number looks correct to me. Um, you know, each individual feed is calibrated with a few different things, right? There's the heartbeat, and that's some set time interval that a, a, a new round of aggregation would kick off, right? There's a secondary parameter that's called the deviation threshold. And if your target price moves past that deviation threshold, either over or under, uh, it'll kick off a new round of aggregation too. Suffice it to say, in the last 24 hours and over the last several days, there's been a lot of volatility in the market, right? And so that number, 92 updates over the last 24 hours, is accurate. Yesterday it was something like over 180 or whatever. Um, and so, like I said, a volatility in a, in a price feed, when we're, when we're talking about price feeds, the volatility there is going to drive more and more updates. Um, you know, like I said, specifically for the updates for 24 hours, it looks like the OCR feeds are not included, um, which is a bug that we're going to have to back in there. So. Awesome. Okay, actually, uh, you had mentioned uh, OCR. Um, and that was like another question I had, because if you look at feed updates, you guys have two types listed. Um, could you kind of dive in a little bit of like what the difference is of OCR uh, type versus the flux type? Yeah, absolutely. Maybe Chainlink God can help me out a little bit too in a second here. Um, so Chainlink released a really big update to the core client software of the Chainlink nodes themselves. It's called OCR, which stands for Off-Chain Reporting. And it's a really significant advance in scaling an individual network of nodes, right? So the idea is that the network of Chainlink nodes, let's say for the EQS dollar, uh, 21 plus nodes would be in a network that all have their individual data sources that they query, right? Those nodes, when one of them notices a deviation uh, outside of that threshold of that last price that they 
push on chain, it would kick off a round of aggregation. And in the OCR model, all those nodes talk to each other using a lightweight Byzantine fault-tolerant consensus mechanism, which is a fancy way of saying they all check and see if they all have the same answer, basically, right? Um, or rather that they've decided on the same answer. So it's a consensus mechanism in the same way that, you know, blockchain or other, other computers actually use consensus mechanisms like this. But they all check to see that they're going to publish the same answer. And instead of all of those nodes separately pushing an answer on chain, one of those nodes pushes that answer on chain. And all the other nodes are still listening and they're paying attention. Uh, and that essentially allows a network of nodes to really, really reliably push an honest answer on-chain while minimizing the number of actual on-chain transactions. So that drives the cost of an individual network of nodes pushing an on-chain transaction, I guess, by nearly 90%. So that allows for essentially tenfold scaling of the number of networks for the same cost, or the, num the number of feeds for the same cost. Um, anything I missed there, CLG? Does that sound right? No, I think you pretty much had it head on. OCR is basically creating one transaction per update, and that one transaction contains all the responses for a whole update, while Flux Monitor or Flux Aggregator, depending on what you're referring to, that previous system, every node during an update produces their own transaction, which, you know, given Ethereum is insanely expensive right now, it's not really practical. So OCR was kind of created as a response to Ethereum's network congestion, so because all the nodes are batching the responses together off-chain and then just spinning a single transaction, it's up to 90% cheaper per transaction. So that, that basically means each unit of link can bring 10 times more data on-chain. So that's kind of why a lot of the chain link feeds have increased in decentralization from like 15 nodes and now a bunch of them have like 31 nodes now. And some of the deviation thresholds have been lowered down to even like 0.3%, which may not sound like much, but on Ethereum, where, you know, it's a couple hundred dollars per transaction and blocks every 13 seconds. That's actually very fast. And, you know, OCR, it's primarily on Ethereum, but we're kind of seeing it roll out to other networks as well now. So that's a bit of, a, a bit of an alpha, alpha leak there. So yeah. kind of building off that a little bit, can you guys help me understand, like, what, what will it look like when Arbitrum goes live when we're talking about the different types between OCR and Flux? Like, what, what will that look like? Sure, that's a good question. Um, so I like rollups. I think they're a really exciting topic to think about, right? An exciting topic to talk about. The idea is essentially that I, it's my understanding that for practical, I just realized that I took my maybe my microphone out. That sounded weird for a second. Um, for practical purposes, you can think of the way that the chainlink node is going to interact on Arbitrum and the way that's going to work on Arbitrum. You can think of it like a different chain, right? So you're going to spin up a separate instance of your chain. So Linkpool is going to have a chainlink node on Arbitrum, right? And there's going to be networks of Chainlink nodes. There's going to be Dons on Arbitrum, on the rollup. They're going to be on, you know, CK rollups. They're going to be on Optimism. They're going to be on everything, right? Um, so these networks of nodes will be operating there too. And because of those speed and scaling up abilities there on the rollup, you're going to have really, really fast updates. When you talk about 0.3% as a deviation threshold, that's probably 10 or 20 or 50 times more than the deviation thresholds we're going to see on Arbitrum. You know, 0.01 could be a deviation threshold we'd see on Arbitrum. So, like, real-time tick price updates on these because of the scaling abilities. Um, so, you know, in terms of whether that's going to involve 
OCR nodes or whether that's going to involve the aggregators. I don't see why it wouldn't be OCR. That's sort of the default uh, client base and the way that networks of nodes are constructed now. But, you know, maybe there's going to be a different method there. But I don't okay, what do you guys think about the Forbes article that was written about ENY and Microsoft baseline protocol and Chainlink? Um, so the, the one that John Wolpert tweeted? Yes, sir. Was that an older article? Because I retweeted it earlier. I think it was an older article, but or maybe I'm just... Yeah, it was from like a year ago. Okay, cool. I will say my official stance is that I like it. I think it's good because I think Chainlink's good. Um, I know that that's not a, comp a controversial take, but... Uh, before we move on, can you guys, for people who kind of just learned about Chainlink either tonight or recently, what is, what kind of, in layman's terms, what were you guys were talking about, like the OR, ORC nodes and the Chainlink uh, market? And I don't know, like, it, I, I hopefully Chase's answer got uh, answered for him, but like, I think a lot of people got lost in the weeds there, if you're just new. Sure. I'll, I'll slow down a little bit. So... The idea is that, you know, Linkpool runs a Chainlink node, right? And each our node fetches off-chain data and writes it back on chain, right? So we fetch data for, say, an API. Like I said, you know, we fetch the results of a sport, a sport match. Maybe it's, I don't know, whatever. It's an F1 race. So we fetch who won the race and write that back on chain. The idea would be for a network of nodes, uh, a DAWN, right? Say, again, 31 nodes. They would all query their individual data source. So there's decentralization at the data source level. There's multiple nodes pulling from one data source. So let's say if one of those nodes go down, you're still getting the data from that data source. Multiple data sources, right? Because you, you can't just tr trust and rely on one data source. Uh, and so all of those nodes would then write that answer back on chain, right? So you have a, you have a really reliable answer that has really good market coverage. Um, and in terms of OCR, like we said, all of those nodes pull that answer, and then one of them writes it on chain, which allows for really great scaling. Um, and those networks of nodes, that group of nodes fetching that data, those can be deployed on other blockchains too, right? So a lot of times we're deployed on Ethereum, we're also deployed on Heco, we're deployed on Binance Smart Chain, we're deployed on Polygon, and more and more are coming every day, literally. So deploy those networks of those nodes to those other chains or to that roll-up and they're fetching that data and they're providing that data to smart contracts. That makes sense. And so what's the purpose of the Chainlink market? Sure. So the Chainlink market itself, oh, that's right. I didn't give you the actual pitch on the Chainlink market. I just started talking about it. So the Chainlink market, right, it's intended for a couple purposes. One is to provide transparency and, and the ability to explore the Chainlink network and see what's really happening, right? You click that gear in the upper right-hand corner on market.link and you can switch to different networks. So you can check out what feeds are running on Matic. You can check out what feeds are running on Binance Smart Chain. You can explore the top nodes on Ethereum. You can see what data sources are available to you as a developer on the Covan testnet, right? Uh, so the idea is to expand transparency and expand the ability to explore what's happening on the network. And also, for folks that are looking to build using Chainlink, they can find the adapters that they need to get information from the data sources they need. And for the people that are building, to host their external adapters, not host their external adapters, but post their external adapters on there for other people to use. For you to list your node there, 
so other people can discover your node uh, and find out what data you're serving and how good of a job you're doing. Hey, Eric, I had a follow-up question. I, well, one, I, I do have one more question around the, the Chainlink market, but before we get too far away from the topic around Arbitrum, I wanted to ask a clarifying question. Um, you had mentioned that um, Arbitrum is kind of like it's like it's like its own separate chain. It'll be on its own chain, right? But there's not a token for Arbitrum, so is gas for those computations going to be paid in Link? Uh, I'm not sure what the answer is to that question at this time. Um, yeah, I, from what I understand, in the future, Chainlink nodes that are providing verifier services will be able to use Link as the token that they stake to put up as collateral to, to prove that something is true or to attest that something is false, rather. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the token is going to be that is used to burn to pay for transaction fees. I'm not sure what the answer is to that. Gotcha. Do you, and I guess like side question off that: Will uh, that network be supported solely by Chainlink nodes? I also don't know the answer to that question. Um, I know that verifiers and validators look so optimistic. Rollups, there's a great article that I'll be happy to, to tweet, like kind of at, um, I'll do it later, but I'll tweet it kind of at you guys, right? You too. Um, it's, you know, Vitalik has written a great one that's, you know, kind of explores what rollups are, what optimistic rollups are, what ZK rollups are. Paradigm Research put a great article up about that. Or excuse me, put a great article out that sort of describes what optimistic rollups are. There's the notion of a verifier or a validator. Um, you know, off-chain labs, guys that are working on Arbitrum have put out some great articles about them. The idea is that these verifiers or validators would inspect how these transactions are ordered, how solidity contracts on the rollup itself were executed, uh, and would either you know point out and say, hey, look, this one's false, and somebody else would say, hey, no, it's true. Uh, and it's my understanding that Chainlink nodes will be able to do that, but potentially other entities will be able to do that too. Other people could run their own verifier or validator. That's awesome. Uh, once again, I apologize for putting you on this spot uh, because I know those are very, very specific Chainlink questions. But bringing it back to Link Pool in the marketplace, I did have some uh, like a really well, interesting. Can I ask question. one more question about Arbitrum before we leave Chase? Yeah. Um, something we've been speculating on as a group is. Um, one of Arbitrum's uh, main goals is low gas fees, and right now, like, Matic and other projects are kind of capitalizing on being the solution to low gas fees. What is your opinion, Eric, on, like, if Arbitrum goes live, does that kind of wipe out the competition like Matic for the low gas fee solution, or is it kind of a net positive for the space? I think it's a net positive for the space. I think that the answer is that there's not going to just be one answer, right? I don't think this is necessarily uh, HD DVD versus Blu-ray or whatever. You know what I mean? That one's probably too old of a reference for a lot of people here tonight. Um, not, not rich. Um, so I think that there's going to be a host of solutions, right? There's going to be a breadth of solutions. There's going to be a diversity of solutions. And I think that you know, if you look at the security guarantees or the differences between a ZK rollup, uh, the cost differences between, say, a ZK rollup, um, a side chain, and an optimistic rollup, everybody's going to have their own opinion on exactly the one they want to be using, and they're also going to have their own economic pressures or social pressures to deploy to those different things, right? Because maybe my DAP that I'm working on 
it's really I think it's really important for me for interoperability to make sure that I'm deployed to the same places that uh, you know Andy's staff that he's working on uh, and Keenan's staff that he's working on. It's important for me to be deployed to the same places that they are. And I also don't think that it's necessary for anybody to choose sides, right? I think if you your desire is to have a lot of customers or a lot of users uh, using your DAP or using your product, maybe you'll just deploy to all of them, right? And and it'll sort itself out in time. So I think the answer is that all of this stuff is good for the space right now. A diversity of solutions and a diversity of options is good for the space right now. Um, I think Chainlink is really uniquely positioned to be supporting all of them. Chainlink's bet isn't on one or the other. It's on smart contract adoption, right? And it's we're committed to driving smart contract adoption, however that means, and going wherever we need to go to do it. It's been my experience that any technology throughout, you know, for the past 30, 40 years, as soon as you pigeonhole yourself into one niche, it never works out. And I've seen that time and time again. You know, where's your beta tapes? How does that work for you? Yeah, right. Um, Eric, uh, my last question, and I want to pass it back over to me too. I know we have a, a few other topics that we were going to hit. Um, for anyone that wants to follow along, I'm looking at the market.link website, and you can search under the data sources. Um, so looking at some of these example data sources, Eric, um, I see, I think you had touched on this earlier, but uh, sports monks, I see YouTube, I see Instagram. Can you kind of like walk us through some practical use cases of like what, uh, one, this kind of means for it to be a data source, and like two, what are some like practical like use cases that this opens up? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a handful on here that I think are really, really cool. Um, and I think that maybe some of these will be ones that you've heard before. Uh, you know, think about sport monks, right? A decentralized betting platform uh, where you can bet on any market, any event, right? Say sport monks, like I said, they do cricket and they do soccer and they do Formula One racing. Uh, to be able to bet on an upcoming race, uh, who wins or who takes third or whatever, betting on any of that stuff in a decentralized way, that's one use for sports data. Obviously, there's more exciting uses for sports data, like you know something more complex, like a fantasy football league that all happens on the blockchain, right? And you and your buddies have all bet. And those results are pulled in trustlessly, and all that is all the betting and all the results are executed at the end. And the entire time you guys have put that money up in a pot, say it's sitting in a DeFi protocol earning yield, so if somebody doesn't just win the thousand dollars that you all collectively put in together, maybe you win twelve hundred fifty dollars because it earned that yield over the course of time. Um, you know, if you think about something like, you know, I know in, in your list here you had. YouTube. Uh, there's an early one, actually, an early use case for Chainlink, which was it was like a search results uh, analyzer, basically. And the idea was that a smart contract could verify whether you know you pay a company to get you in the top Google search results, and the smart contract, the Chainlink node checks to see if you actually are in the top results, and you know if they've done it, they get paid. The same could be true for YouTube, you know drive adoption or drive views to your campaign uh, or drive a, a campaign to drive views to your channel, 
you know, if somebody doesn't exceed that amount of views or new subscribers, then they don't they don't get paid. You know, obviously, I think there's stuff like Tingo. They're an incredible data source of really, really beautifully curated equities data. And when I say that, I mean, you should check out Chainlink today and see Rishi of Tingo's, uh, his article on Chainlink today. I love that dude. I really am crazy about him. I think he's the best. I think his philosophy on life is incredible. And I think his, his attention to detail with his work is really, really impressive. He's a heck of a guy. Um, watch signals is a cool one that I know a lot of people use during the Chainlink hackathon. Watch signals, essentially they're providing really reliable pricing for luxury watches. Uh, and I think that we're going to see a future where you can put up a high value item and draw down collateral against it in the form of say a stable coin loan. Uh, and so stuff like that, building these initial data primitives is really a requirement for kind of this future. You know, there's plenty of these guys that their data, you know, we build an adapter for them or we launch, launch an iron node and support an iron node where I don't get it. Right. I'm not exactly sure what that data is going to do or who's going to use it or what they're going to use it for, but I don't need to get it. I don't need to understand. I just need to help them get it on there in a reliable way because somebody out there that's way smarter than me or way more creative than me is going to build something really cool with that data. Uh, anyway. That's awesome. Thank you for running through that for us. Yeah. Did that answer your question? Would, would you almost Absolutely. say that's like an enabler of uh, creativity? A hundred percent. Absolutely, man. You yeah, know, that's... I think that's Sorry, that's just really, really interesting, especially as like I'm 21, so <clears throat> I did photography for four years. So, like, just having data like that for any type of art or creativity, I think for the future generation, that's really, really cool. Absolutely, man. I totally agree. Like I said, I think that our role in this is to enable people to bring their data on chain. And to make that data that developers desire, make that available to them. Because like I said, people with way more creativity than me, people with way bigger brains than me are going to see that stuff. And they're, they're going to know exactly what they're going to build with it. And then what people are building with it three years from now is going to be even more exciting and even more complex because of the composability of smart contracts. So. Thanks for that super high. Um, Eric, I, for my, for my last questions that I personally have, I kind of wanted to dive in a little bit into like the future of link pool. Um, a little bit of a two part question. One being, uh, what can we expect from link pool for the rest of this year? Do you guys have any, anything big, uh, that you're currently working on that will be launching, um, this year or maybe early next year? And then two, I was kind of curious on your thoughts of like the future of link pool. Like where do you see link pool being in the next five to 10 years? Absolutely, man. You know, one of the major things that we're working on right now is market.link. We're really, really deeply focused on not only expanding the data that people can explore with market.link, but really making it a developer-focused site, right? Allowing developers to go there, find exactly what they're looking for, request things if it's not there yet, um, allowing them to I think one of the, the primary things that we're going to see this year is self-service. The ability to build things on your own or the ability to ask for things and then have somebody help you out with it later is, is kind of the interim step to that. Um, without digging too much into it, uh, we're working on some really cool stuff for the market right now that you should be able to see fairly soon. Uh, but we're 
really, really excited. We're really, really proud of the work that we've already done on it, and we're doubling down and really focusing heavily on expanding the market and, and expanding the use cases and the functions of it to, like I said, really bring more power to developers. That's our major goal right now. Oh, yeah. And then maybe uh, in, like, the next five to ten years, like, where do you where do you see Linkpool uh, going? That's a big one, and it's something that, you know, it's kind of funny. I think it's something that I've only really started thinking about over the last couple months, even though, you know, like I said, I've been with the team for a couple of years, um, and maybe, you know, I've had target fixation. Uh, it's like one of those things where you're you're looking too close to the front of your car, right? Uh, what I'm trying to say is that I feel like I'm afforded the ability to look out a little further into the future, and I'm really, really excited. I think one of the things that I'm hopeful for is that we have the ability to, and this is maybe near term, help other teams and node operators uh, bootstrap, get launched, uh, get spun up and get working with clients, right? Our hope is to continue driving more adoption for new data types and, and, and bring more developers into the fold. Five or ten years, God, that's such a long time. That's actually scary to think about. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it really is, man. Um, I think just thinking about where Chainlink is going to be in three years is like mind-numbing. It's excessive expansion. You know, it really is my hope that, you know, I'll be at Linkpool in ten years, and my role will be... I'm always excited about education, I think is one of the things that's and so getting out of the space, getting out of the world and helping bring on new developers, even if it's, you know, I mean, one of y'all said you've been coding since, was it elementary school or sixth grade or whatever? In like Elementary school. Yeah, man. I think that's, that's exciting to me. I'm hopeful that we have the ability and have the reach in the future to be able to, help, like, help boot camps do that kind of stuff and bring that type of stuff to middle school kids. I don't know. I guess that's a really soft, like, crappy answer. I probably should have thought of something better for this. Um, but I think that it, there's a constellation of possibilities ahead of us. I'm just happy to be here building things today. I'm hopeful that, you know, Linkpool will be able to continue to be at the forefront of driving adoption for the chain network forward. Uh, I'm hopeful that, and actually one of the things that's really critical to me is that we help other people do that too. We help lift other people up and we give other people the opportunity to work with them. Um, I think we're at a really critical time in the space right now where collaboration, right? We're, we're all dancing together in a really small circle, and it's, it's inevitable that we're going to step on each other's toes. But if we just keep dancing, right? If we keep dancing, the circle's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and there's going to be space for everybody to step in and do work, and we're all going to grow the pie together, and so everybody's going to get a bigger slice. But I don't know. I know it's really wishy-washy and kind of pie in the sky, but um, yeah, man, I'm hopeful we can just drive the space forward because I think it's going to really make a big difference. I don't know about Chainlink, uh, but I kicked myself in the ass for not paying attention to Linkpool in the very beginning when I had the opportunity to buy at a very, very, very cheap price. But I was so goddamn focused on buying Link and, and obsessed. And and I ignored the fact, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'll get to it later. I'll get to it later. Then I missed a huge opportunity and, and then I'm like, I got to the point, I think it was about maybe four or five months ago, I started panicking because I'm like, 
staking's coming up, and I don't have anything. And I'm glad you expanded the pool to LPL, but yeah. And I've been absorbing, and and I don't think people recognize. You know, when it first came out, yeah, it spiked huge, but right now it's it's begging, uh, basement bargain price. Get on it because when you have that, that gives you the ability to get the golden ticket to get in there and and stake. The water's nice and cool. Eric, just before we go into the live QA, so I had that philosophical question for you. So I know the three to five year was kind of big. So just take this with like a grain of salt. But do you see? Uh, do you think that link pool could be like a key role in providing the ability to generate like generational income for future generations? Or uh, like, so say someone deposits their link in your notes, um, they would just secure that income over time, and especially for you know the younger generation, like that's better than what S and P five hundred, you know. A four hundred one k, like that's insane. Yeah, man, I think that's a big question too, right? It's an exciting one. I think that we're seeing. I mean, Sergey said it, right? It's a total disruption of the financial system, and I think that this is an extension of kind of what I was talking about when we think about useful capital, right? As Chainlink, as a network, as a service. As, as, a, as a concept drives these increases in efficiency and drives these use cases where trust between two parties is impossible, so you use this trustless solution, I think it's only inevitable that that element of it gets ingrained more and more into our economy in the future. Um, you know, I'm, I think suffice it to say it's my hope that that's the case, that it'll be generational wealth and it's possible to be generated by these services. Um, I think that is a big philosophical question. Like, is what we're looking at the type of thing that'll be here 100 years from now? Maybe because of the nature of these decentralized developments across these protocols, that it's you know it becomes a public good that is not just a good for the public, but also is something that the public maintains. When we think about like the Ethereum blockchain or other blockchains of that nature. Um, again, maybe that's a little. Yeah, but um, I'm hopeful. I'm certainly hopeful. Like I said, yeah. we're seeing some disruption already. So yeah, and it's usually those you know first mover advantages that take the strong one. You know, like just like Link. And um, I want to take a second to thank all the Link members, Chainlink workers. I see a lot of them in here. We want to thank you from the bottom of uh, our hearts for working how hard you guys do. Because without y'all, like <laughs> all this is just memes. So. Um, I genuinely uh, say thank you. Absolutely, man. Like, I, I want to echo that. Like, some of the truly, not just the nicest, but some of the best people I've ever met have been people that I've met working with Chainlink Labs. You know what I mean? There's, you know, just a handful of folks that I see up top here. My main man, Andy. My main man, Ethan. Love you guys so much. Mike, Zach, Max, y'all are incredible. You know, Benji, you still count because I love you. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's truly, truly an incredible team of people, uh, incredibly committed to the vision, incredibly committed to their goals. I've never met people that work so hard in my entire life, and I consider myself fairly hardworking, but it's motivation, it's inspiration, and I'm grateful for that. Yeah, y'all make me want to work harder, so thank you.
Uh, me too. I had some questions from listeners, Kyle or Mark. Um, I brought on Zonk so he could he could start off the live Q and A. Oh, um, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. But then, uh, we can, I think uh, once Zonk is rotating off, then we can hit one of those that you had. Sure, no problem. No worries. Let's roll with that. Um, yeah, if you guys are cool with it, just uh, we have a few listeners, so we try and get get people on and and ask questions live. Yeah, and if anyone has questions and they might not get the chance to speak tonight, uh, send one of the speakers, including myself, a DM. Might be able to ask it for you. Zog, let it rip, bro. Hi there, like Derek. Uh, thanks for your time. I had a question for you. Um, when, we were, when you were earlier discussing um, Chainlink being used on Arbitrum, you had said something along the lines of uh, using Link as collateral to verify something is true or rather to attest that something is false. Could you give us some insight between those two, um, um, I guess between those, I guess the nuance between those two different uh, ways to use it? Sure, right. So, in optimistic rollups, and, and Chainlink, uh, feel free to stop me if I'm wrong. Um, in optimistic rollups, the reason they call it optimistic, right, is that it's assumed that the attestation that's pushed down to the chain is true. All this, all this information, all these transactions, all this execution is occurring on the rollup, right? Uh, and then it's pushed down. The idea is that a verifier or a validator, some people call them different things. I think it, I, the idea is that it's going to be the same role. Um, and a chain link node could be one of those things, could be a verifier validator. The idea is that they're watching. They can run those transactions on their own, and they can identify when one of those is not true. And so they would attest and say, hey, look, this is a fraud proof, is what it's called. Um, I'm attesting that this is not true. I'm saying that this execution is invalid. You know, maybe this address is lying and they're double paying themselves. You know, they're saying that somebody sent tokens to them instead of somewhere else. So somebody would essentially, this validator or verifier would put up collateral to attest to that. Uh, and somebody else would, in order to dispute it, they'd have to put up uh, and say that it's, it is true, right? Uh, I don't know if that makes sense. Um, but the idea would be, it's my understanding, and that, again, this is like for some for some early documentation, um, that in the future, that'll be possible with Link. I don't know what that timeline looks like. You know, a lot of that stuff is really fast moving. Um, that is my, that's my understanding. I could be mistaken. So. Yeah, I think that, pretty, that hit it pretty head on. I think with the rollups, like the key dynamic, specifically with optimistic rollups, is that you're using Ethereum to store transaction data but the actual computation of the transactions happened off chain and then it's with optimistic rollups whenever a transaction is posted it's assumed to be correct until otherwise stated by like a fraud proof and a fraud proof basically executes the transaction on chain so in the optimistic case nothing gets executed on chain which makes it so cheap and then in the pessimistic case it would execute it and then it can determine if something was true or not so Kind of in the case of like Chainlink, Chainlink nodes could act as like that fraud prover, so they can monitor like the Arbitrum chain or any any other optimistic rollup, and then submit a fraud proof if something incorrect happened, and then uh, basically slash the stake of whoever posted that original transaction that was false. So it's like bootstrapping the security of Ethereum without actually doing transactions on Ethereum because that all happens off chain. So that's kind of where optimistic rollups get their scalability gains. Awesome, man. Thank you for that. Awesome. Thank you.
you guys. I appreciate the answer. Last question. Yes, no, or no comment are all great answers. I was curious if you've had any broader interest from legacy companies like legacy tech companies or fintechs in any of your product offerings. Yes. Hell yeah. Zach. <laughs> Let's go. Always the best questions from Zon. If you're not following him, drop a follow. So Eric, Eric, I want to call out your journey for being very fortunate in your life to be exposed and a part of two monumental companies. And, and kudos to you, my friend. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I can't say enough how really, truly fortunate I feel, right, to, to have the opportunity to work in this space. Um, I'm a dummy, man. I'm a dummy. But I think my superpower is that I'm too dumb to know when to quit. So... I, I just keep showing up, um, and I keep doing my best. Uh, so, you know, I think that there's maybe nicer ways to say that. Um, but, yeah, I, like I said, man, I really do feel fortunate. I feel really, really lucky. Uh, and so I just think about where I came from and where I'd like to go and the people that I'm working alongside. And I'm just trying to keep up, baby. I'm just trying to keep up with Keenan and Josh and Andy and Mike. You know, and good, good things happen to good exactly. people. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm trying to pass it along. is most of the battle. Most people don't even show up. Just like most people won't even explore Link. They won't even do any research into it. They'll go purchase uh, other coins with no with no value. So, hey, uh, hey, Connor, you want to ask that question while I bring on someone else from the uh, the audience? Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Oh. Yep. Sure. Uh. The question was for Eric or the Link Pool team. Um, when staking is live, will you have to have LPL to stake your Link with your service? Um, so on the Link Pool node, uh, you know how I talked about um, gating access because of a certain amount of useful capital. Uh, there's good, I should back up. The short answer is yes. The long answer is no. The idea is that LPL stakers are going to stake their LPL. They're going to get that link LPLA, right? They're going to have the ability to stake link. That LPLA is going to act as their ticket to stake on the node. There's also going to be the notion of lending out your LPLA, right? So say somebody has a big stack of LPL, right? And they, don't, they have more staking allowance than they have link, right? And so they're going to loan out their staking allowance so somebody else that has, say, a lot of link but doesn't have any LPL is going to be able to borrow that allowance and then stake on the node. The person who loans that allowance out is going to receive a cut of those fees. That percentage of the fees is going to be determined on the bonding curve. So say if there's a huge demand for borrowing LPLA, the fees are going to be a little bit high. Uh, in the future, uh, and this is maybe a more distant future, the link pool team also holders of the LPL token, right? We have a big portion of the LPL token stake. That's how we get our portion of our, our share of the fees that we earn on our nodes and our services. Um, we're going to really slowly over time add LPLA to that pool, and that's going to expand access to staking on the link pool node to people that don't have LPL stake or that don't hold LPL. So the short answer is yes, but the longer term answer is there's going to be opportunities and options for people that don't already hold LPL or don't want to hold LPL to stake on the link pool. 
awesome. The, our that, main goal is to be able to enable staking on other Ruby's tokens. So we want to help them enable that with their staking. Awesome. Hopefully that answers the question. They had a secondary question that's kind of a shorter one, but it could be anyone knowledgeable of kind of the Chainlink protocol. Uh, they asked about in a scenario of nodes providing the data for the sports games and gambling, um, what incentives are there to prevent uh, someone to create like a bunch of dis? Their question is: Is there anything preventing people from creating dishonest nodes to manipulate the outcome of the gambling on blockchain? I mean, <clears throat> they seem they seemed unfamiliar with the protocol, so I'm not sure if the question totally makes sense. But I kind of get what they're asking. Okay. I was just reading it straight off the text, so I, I wasn't sure exactly how well put it was, but that was their question. I think it's a fair question. I think that's kind of a key point is that as the, the person who creates like this gambling, this gaming contract, you get to choose which node operators actually service the data to your contract. So it's not like a literal who is delivering you the data because that kind of, you know, obviously they're going to manipulate it if there's nothing on the line. But with Chainlink, you would specifically choose the node operator, and you can choose the node operator based on their reputation, on their like on-chain performance history, and you can gauge the uh, honesty of such nodes based on their revenue. So if they're a highly reputable node who has a history of multiple, multiple years of delivering data on-chain for contracts, and they're generating, you know, they have a substantial amount of future revenue, they have their reputation on the line, then any malicious activity from them would basically forfeit their entire reputation, forfeit their future revenue, and if it's a substantial enough attack, they could even devalue the link token itself. So basically the incentive to post correct, honest data is down to the reputation and the, the, the revenue of that node, and you get to specifically choose which node that you deem to be trustworthy to deliver data to your contract. So it's basically crypto economic incentives based on a dynamic where you get to choose the nodes that you believe have the most skin in the game who would have the highest opportunity cost of lying to you because then they would lose their revenue. So that, that's kind of, in general, that's what keeps nodes honest. But in this specific question, like you would choose the nodes. So it's not like, you know, Jim in his basement with the yeah. chain link node he spun up yesterday would deliver data to your contract unless you chose that node. And then in that case, that's kind of on you, right? Yeah, that makes total sense. Appreciate that. So if Chainlink got, in your opinion, wouldn't you consider Linkpool to be the OG of nodes? Yeah, I would say, like, as far as, like, the spectrum of node operators go, I would say Linkpool's definitely up there. Um, uh, secure Data Links is up there. Deutsche Telekom's up there. But, like, as Linkpool, like, they not only run one of the most, like, performant Chainlink nodes, like, I know that, like, the response time is one of the lowest, but, like, their entire company and business model revolves around the chain link ecosystem. So if they're malicious and they lie, well, you know, they forfeit their entire business. You know, it, it literally wouldn't make any sense for the link pool chain link node to lie because it would forfeit their reputation. It would forfeit all their revenue. And, you know, it just, it just wouldn't make any sense. So yeah, I would definitely say link pools node as far as like trustworthiness would be up there. And so that, that's why you see link pool in like almost all of the chain link price feeds because it's, you know, it's top quality shit. There you go, boys and girls. You know what to do. <laughs> yeah, we are implicitly staking a lot. 
Yeah, I, I could imagine both Link and then the LPL token. You know, that's like double implicit incentives. You have you want to maintain your own token plus the Link token as well. So like that's a double economic incentive for you guys. Exactly. So speaking of, uh, first off, what's up, guys? Um, speaking of which, I Crabto was saying a second ago about that he had wished that he'd gotten into your token. Where exactly would you buy that now? Uh, so you can find it on Bancor, you can find it on Uniswap. If you jump into our link pool Telegram, I've got links to the the liquidity pools that do involve the canonical token. You know, we had our crowd sale years ago. We haven't released additional tokens really. Um, we're not going to hold another sale of those tokens, so it's not like you can come and buy them directly from Linkpool. You're essentially going to be purchasing them off these liquidity pools uh, that the community members have, have deposited the liquidity for. So like I said, Bancor and Uniswap are the primary places. Um, you know, in our Telegram, the Linkpool Telegram, there's a link to the two canonical ones. I know that for a period of time that there was a fake one on Uniswap. That's why I call it out specifically as being able to find that the contract address. Yeah. And that's and part of why we post the contract address on, on app.linkpool.io too. So. Yeah, I was checking that out a second ago, so I'll, I'll join that. I'll, I'll DM you more about it because I'll definitely have a lot more questions about your project. I know these guys have been talking about it for a minute. And then Me Too touched on, uh, touched on part of my question before, and I don't know if this pertains just to what you guys are building out or really the ecosystem in general, so maybe Chainlink God can answer this as well. What is like the threshold for being a node operator in terms of um, in terms of capital, like for the for the amount of link? Because I know what is it? It's like thirty two Ethereum for E two being a a validator or node operator there. Right at this time, since staking isn't yet live, there isn't a requirement for you to hold a certain amount of link. You know, once staking goes live in the future. not sure that there's going to be a defined minimum amount, right? The idea would just be that, you know, you'll be able to run your node, serve jobs. There's just going to be jobs that if you don't have the certain liquidity requirements in order to stake onto them or stake onto the feeds or however exactly it's going to work, you just wouldn't be able to take those on at this time. So there's not a, a hard uh, link capital requirement at this time since staking isn't yet live. Okay, cool. Because, like, uh, I've been playing, like, the build out for doing it with Ethereum and so, like, Theoretically speaking, with like thirty five hundred link, there's no like uh, like guesstimate you could kind of give to the amount of nodes you'd be able to run. Right. Yeah. Since it's uh, you know to run an Ethereum E two validator, you have to have that amount, right? Uh, not necessarily the case with the chain link node because there's going to be a set of jobs I'm sure that don't really require you to stake any capital in order to perform because trying to imagine what those would be exactly, but I'm sure that there will be a class of jobs. Yeah, I mean, the, the validator jobs are a little bit different between the two projects. I was, just, I was just curious about that. Is there any further incentive for kind of, like, creating a bigger staking pool than I would imagine as a node operator? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the hope is that, uh, you know, our hope is that we're going to be running so many jobs that require so much capital that we're just going to keep raising the, the limits that somebody can stake with us that, you know, we're taking on so many jobs that we can't hardly get enough capital onto the node, you know? That's our hope, really, is that there's so much demand there. So that's part of the value for us in opening it up to other people to stake on it, right, is that those people would get a share of the rewards and would be able to to take on a bunch of new jobs. 
Cool. Yeah, it really depends on like a, a job by job, service agreement by service agreement basis. So there may be some service agreements where you don't have to stake anything, but you need to be a reliable chain link node with like a year performance history. Or maybe somebody wants to create a service agreement where you don't have to have any performance history, but you need to deposit at least, you know, 10 link or 100 link or, you know, a million link. So it's kind of like, okay. what, what jobs do you want to take on? The more link you have, the more jobs you can take on. If you want to expand your operation as a node operator, you need more link tokens to do that. So that, that's kind of like, Perfect. that that's the incentive to for nodes to stake their link. Gotcha, yeah, because I, I was kind of confused how that would be set up uh, just because of the differences between ETH and link there. Because um, now with like 32, with 32 ETH, you're kind of raking in like around like a rough estimate of like eight grand a year per uh, validator. So like, you can, you can kind of, Imagine why I was why I was interested in that, and then even more so in doing the same for Link. But that would be cool. All right, I appreciate it, guys. I'll catch you there. Thanks for coming on, Jacob. Hey, cheers, uh, Jacob. Cole's naked. I know you had a question as well. Hey guys, yeah, thanks for taking my question and, and doing this space. This is really helpful. Yeah, absolutely, um, man. Yeah. So. My question is more around the project scenario for Chainlink, you know, the vision as a whole. And under perfect conditions, you know, how, how would you see most beneficial Chainlink to help out traditional finance systems and institutions, whether they wanted to, you know, just get on the blockchain in general or improve what they have going on? And, you know, at the end of the day, that increases the use for Link. And, you know, do you see this being more of a disruptor within traditional lending, whether it be market making for, you know, such a sporting event or um, just a regular market with synthetics or even such things like personal finance or payments. Um, I know it's a very broad question, but we'll figure I just kind of lay that out there and whoever wants to answer it um, and kind of take it wherever you'd like to. I'm, I'm happy to listen. Yeah, it's a spectacular question, man. I think that when we think about dApps that are live now that are really doing exciting, incredible stuff, um, permissionless asset access to any equity or any commodity or any asset, right? When you think about synthetics, um, I think it, it's really easy maybe for somebody that lives in in a European country or that lives in the U.S. or North American country um, to say, well, okay, well, why does it matter if somebody has the ability to trade a synthetic version of S&P 500 or a synthetic version of gold or a synthetic version of lumber? Why does that matter? Because um, there's people that don't have access to trading those equities or trading those commodities uh, or, you know, expand that out to trading whatever asset. So permissionless access to those markets uh, to be able to engage in that trading in a trustless way, right, where you're trading that synthetic asset and you get exposure to those asset classes that you want, I think that's a really exciting thing uh, when you really boil down to it, right? Expanding the access to those things is really exciting. Uh, I'd love to hear other people's takes on, on their kind of killer apps, right, or really exciting ways to disrupt the financial industry. I know that that's like maybe not the most mind-expanding answer, but I think it's one that what I think about really actually is really cool. Yeah, um, yeah. Real, oh, go ahead. real quick. Yeah, real quick, could I ask a question about uh, the one thing you said about 
permissionless transactions, you know, from anybody in, you know, say Europe and versus the United States, you know, let's just say for commodities example, you know, you need to trade through a regulated exchange here if you want to trade it traditionally. And you also have to have some sort of collateral since you would be required if your you know, contract came to fruition to deliver an asset. Um, you know, how, how do you think that plays out on the blockchain? And, you know, if so, would there be typical regulations one would follow, like they have to do in traditional markets right now? Or would you, know, you be able to set your own individual contract versus one another for a specific asset or wherever you may want to call it? Sure, right. You know, I think in terms of synthetics itself, the, the value add there is that you're trading, you know, a synthetic asset, right? You're, tra- you're, you're getting exposure to that asset without necessarily trading the underlying asset itself, um, which, you know, like I said, for somebody that maybe the market that they exist in for their traditional exposure, their ability, like in their 401k or whatever, to get exposure to a certain asset might be really limited by their government. Uh, and that's a thing that we're seeing already happening in a bunch of places. So I think that, you know, like I said, it's maybe not the sexiest application, but it is something that's like real and is enabling people. Um, you know, I guess I don't know that I answered your question. Um, somebody else feel free to just to, to step in. Yeah, I think a good example of this is that Ave, or specifically Stani from Ave, he kind of alpha leaked uh, the Ave Pro institutional market. So Aave is kind of a money market for lending and borrowing different assets, and that can include stable coins. And one of the markets that they're going to launch is specifically for institutions. So if you want to participate in that market, you have to go through like the KYC AML procedures like a normal institution was. So the existing Aave protocol would still be permissionless for everybody to join, but they're essentially launching a new market where it's specifically geared towards institutions, and they would need to go through that that process um, like they have to do with any other financial service, but the benefit is that they get access to DeFi. So they get a much broader global liquidity. They get access to much higher APY yield through Aave, and they basically get all of the benefits of DeFi. So I think ultimately what we'll see is a lot of these institutions get onboarded in like a pseudo version of DeFi where it's more of like a permission type environment. But I think over time, regulations are going to evolve to actually allow institutions to you know, jump head in into DeFi into the more permissionless aspects because the benefits of permissionless liquidity gain exposure to literally anything in the world with synthetics. I think that's going to be hard to ignore. So I think that a lot of the institutions are going to use their lobbying power to, to allow the regulators to, to, to give them the, the green light for them to jump in head on. So I think like they'll get their toes wet with like an institutional market permissioned KYC, you know, kind of, baby mode protected, but I think they're going to end up diving into DeFi head on. And I think that's ultimately where things are going in the long term. That'll be yeah. good. Uh, <clears throat> Eric, you asked a question about projects we're curious about that might be disruptive to the space. And it's a chain link partner. So I'm curious what CLG and you might have to say about it is a swiper SXP trying to load a uh, crypto into an ecosystem to allow them to be kind of spent and collateral in anywhere Visa is accepted. It's backed by Visa and Binance right now. Uh, have you guys heard of it or have any interest in that project? Uh, you know, it, it's te- 
right? Is the ability to. You're not the only. Correct me if I'm wrong. Anybody. I think they're not the only people that have worked on this. Oh, definitely not. Neat, I think it's a neat use case, right? Um, is it a killer use case? I don't know. It's like a cool way to spend your crypto games, I guess. Um, I'm not trying to belittle the project or the amount of work that they're doing. Um, as far as it being disruptive for a financial institution, like I said I think it's a cool way to spend your games, but. Well, not disruptive to the it. financial institution. I meant kind of disruptive in the sense that it allows any crypto to be scalable without having to build in scalability to the coin, right? It's kind of disruptive in the crypto sense more than the De- uh, DeFi sense, in my opinion. Like, it allows you, if you're in the SXP ecosystem, to not have to worry about implementing scalability yourself, right? I think with, there's kind of like a spectrum in those solutions. A lot of them are very like custodial. They'll deposit your tokens and then they'll do transactions in fiat. And then they'll they basically, when you load your crypto into those cards, what they usually do is they sell your crypto into fiat. And then you're basically just spending with US dollars most of the time. I think like the interesting solutions is kind of like Flexa, what they're doing, where you're making transactions in crypto, but every transaction is collateralized by their native token AMP. So basically allows you to, for, for merchants, to accept payments immediately after it's transmitted, even if it's not settled on the blockchain yet, because everything's collateralized by the AM, AMP token, which can be you know, slashed if needed, if the, if the transaction didn't actually get confirmed on the blockchain. So I think, I think those are actually going to be like the promising solutions, because I, I can't speak too much on I'm, more. Is that not what SXP is doing, or are you just not familiar with the project? Because I, I I'm thought not, I'm not too familiar with it to oh, be honest. True. I thought I, they may be after them or before them, but I believe in their white paper 2.0 they released recently. They're trying to do that flexia or whatever I forget the name already mentioned, but yeah, more more or less have it be spending the crypto instead of fiat. You see, kind of you to see the parallel to credit card companies, right? They're always their best or their interests are in making money and, and these kind of entities if they're going to do this they're going to give you the most shittiest exchange rate on your crypto for one and they're going to reap the re- rewards that's that's the benefit of providing the service that's where everybody needs to be cautious on, until the smoke settles in this industry yeah definitely i mean i don't have really money in it and i don't have an xxp card or anything but I think like the Flexia and SXP roadmap of instead of loading, spending fiat against your crypto, you're spending the crypto in the stores collateralized is interesting. Yeah, yeah I, I think, think you know, MobiCoin and them and everybody else, you know, they're groundbreaking. When, when we finally break the dam on this and it starts to become the norm, which is very, very close on this precipice, I mean, we're standing on the edge of the cliff. Yeah, definitely. And so like, you, you have to watch you watch where you're getting screwed because we, everybody's going to get screwed one way or another. And until the smoke settles, that's when things settle down and you'll get the best value. Yeah, like CLG said, there's a lot of people that have attempted this solution and have this solution out. Like Gemini has a card, FTX has a card, Crypto.com has a card, SXP has a card. Um... So yeah, I mean, they're definitely not unique. I was just curious of that concept in general, what you guys thought about it. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Great question.
Hey guys, I'm gonna I'm gonna take one more from the audience. Um, Colin, I saw you were requesting for some time. Did you have a question for the the squad? Uh, yeah, I had a, a question for uh, linked Eric there. Um, I remember back in the early days, people were asking, you know, how your notes, what you're gonna run them on, and I think it was gonna be on a cloud service. I'm just wondering, do you guys plan on migrating to your own uh, physical hardware in the future? So it's a good question, right? I think uh, a solution that's that's multi-cloud and on-prem, when you talk about a real decentralized infrastructure solution. So I'm not a DevOps engineer. Um, let me say, we are hiring DevOps engineers. If you're a DevOps engineer and you want to work for a blockchain company, email me at eric at linkpool.io or send a message to me on Twitter. Uh, we're also hiring backend engineers in Golang. Uh, and if you just like, if you're an engineer, you want a job in the space, please email me, especially if you're a DevOps engineer. Um, so the idea is, right, that we really want to have a really highly decentralized infrastructure solution as a node operator, right? We want to have the ability to have failover across different, uh, not only regions within, say, GCP or AWS or Azure or whatever, but across different cloud solutions. Um, the short answer is, is yes, that that's, that's uh, a goal in the future that we're working towards is having on-prem physical stuff and across multiple cloud solutions. Okay, that sounds uh, pretty cool. And kind of following on that, uh, do you guys have some kind of, uh, I don't know, a sort of governance decentralization plan? Like uh, I think it was mentioned earlier in the chat, like, you know, for the, the gambling, the sports gambling one, you know, people might launch, you know, low reputation nodes to attack, um, attack a price feed or whatever. And, but couldn't people uh, just attack you guys personally? Like, I don't know, put a gun to your head and then compel you to shut your note off or whatever. And I think like boards of governors and big companies kind of have this kind of architecture to them. I'm wondering if you guys have thought of that at all. That's yeah, like, so it's certain, so, go ahead, somebody else started talking. No, I was just about to make a joke, that's like nuclear football stuff, like it, making sure you got 10 people with codes and stuff. The first solution is to always stay strapped. The second solution <laughs> is, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, that, that, I haven't, that's not something that directly that I thought about in that sense. You know, I think that when you talk about running Chainlink nodes from a DevOps perspective, um, having multiple individuals that, that are, that have that responsibility to say something bad happens to the node. I haven't thought about it from a perspective of something bad happens to an individual. Um, huh. Huh. I, I guess I don't actually have an answer to that question. Um, at, at this time, we don't necessarily have a, a governance uh, plan for our nodes going forward or, or our organization going forward. Um, I think that in some ways we're straddling the line between uh, a decentralized organization because there's decentralized individuals that are that are holding our tokens and there, there's unaligned incentives there. Rather, we have fairly pretty well aligned incentives there, right? We want to drive value to those holders, but yeah, I don't know. Let's move for thought. All right, let's think tank thrive. What's that? I said, let the think tank thrive. Exactly. Exactly. I appreciate it. Um, oh, yeah. I had a viewer ask, how does a 
note's reputation, but like get calculated and how does like someone build up a good reputation? That's a great question. So the Channeling Cloud called out a really, really cool team earlier, secure data links. Um, so while LinkPool, while we're building this market.link site, while it does capture a bunch of really great metrics that allow you to ha have a better understanding of the individual Chainlink node's performance, um, one of the primary teams and the, the, the number one team that I think of when I think about reputation that's developing a reputation framework uh, is secure data links. And they have a great site, reputation.link. You should guys check that out too. Um, when I said that we're at an early stage in the network, at an early stage in the ecosystem, you know, I feel like in some ways our products, market.link and reputation.link, are dancing very close together. Um, and it, it seems maybe sometimes like we're stepping on each other's toes. I don't look at it like that. I, I look at it like we're, it's a very collaborative effort, right? We're really, really interested in the future and integrating some of their reputation metrics onto our market.link site. We want to, they do incredible work. They're incredible people, end to end. Uh, we want to enable them as much as we can because they've done the same for us in the past, right? This is a, this is not a zero sum game.
I think I'm actually gonna I think I'm gonna close out the episode here. Um, CLG, Crafto, Eric, did you? Did any one of you guys have any just like last closing thoughts you want to leave the audience with while you while you have uh, like the 300 people that are in here?
in this environment. Um, and as Eric alluded to, this is the Wild West, and I love how this Wild West environment is creating such a collaborative space. And um, honestly, just really honored to have everyone here. Um, you know, I started this podcast and just fun. <laughs> so <laughs> I really wasn't expecting anything. It was just literally the friend, our friends were messing around on a whiteboard and we were, <laughs> we were planning world domination. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what it was. And, uh, to see the amount of people come to come together around the base space, uh, to see people like CLG support and craft OGs like you and Eric, like you said that you were like impressed to have to be on here. Like we're impressed to have you. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. It's awesome, man. It's based. Yeah, well, when we started it, just like me and two said, we were drawing on my whiteboard in my room, planning, you know, world domination as a squad. And uh, then we kind of just like picked it up. We're like, we can actually have base discussions in here. And then me and two ran with the idea, made the website, which if you haven't seen the website, it's in my bio. Go ahead and check that out. Um, but yeah, it's, it's super cool. I would have never thought that Chainlink God would be on our on our podcast in the beginning, and now he's here, you know, giving out the pills, so that's super, super based. Yeah, man, we have an incredible community of people that really are just really dedicated and really committed to lifting each other up and teaching each other, you know? I think that that's, that's what I take away from all this every day, really, is that I think each one should teach one, right? We should all work to lift each other up and teach each other. And that's what I see all the time. That really is what I see all the time. So it's exciting. It's um, kind of like, kind of like karma. Like I was initially link pilled by very smart aliens in the community, so I kind of do whatever I can to give back. And so, any anyone else who helps along this mission, I'm happy to have you on this on this journey, and I'm thankful. have a forum to share more info and it was it was great hearing from you eric from everything i'm thankful that you guys are truly like the og uh chain like community company like there's there's no other than like one and now like you're at the head of the, the community aspect of that so i appreciate all the work you do and i appreciate all the work everyone else here does and thanks to everybody for listening i'd like to echo doing your own research that's like one of the most important things you could really do like I'm still always reading articles, and I'm still learning more every day. So, like, it, it's not, you don't read something, and then you're done, and you know everything. Like, you're going to keep finding more and more, and you're going to keep learning more and more, because if you're not learning, then you're just going to be stagnant, and you're not actually going to, you know, you're not going to get very far. So, uh, I would just like to echo those thoughts as well. Doing your own research, cannot recommend it enough. Too true. Too true. Yeah, thank you guys so much for, for, having us on here tonight uh, for doing such a great service to the community at large, right? This is a ton of fun. Uh, I'm not normally up until uh, midnight. <laughs> I normally would be in bed by now, but this is, I'm super juiced up now. This has been a ton of fun. Like I said, thanks for having us on. Thanks for asking so many great questions about Lincoln for, for helping educate the community. Um, you know, like I said, we're hiring for a number of roles. We're specifically focused on engineering roles right now. Like, like I said, really looking for DevOps engineers, backend engineers at GoLang. Um, but for the people out there that are non-technical, you know, what these guys are doing with Base Space 
want to get involved, this is exactly the type of thing you should be doing. You should just show up and start working on it. It doesn't need to be perfect when you start, because for God's sake, it won't be perfect when you start. It's going to be worse than you imagine, but it's going to go better than you would imagine, or better than you would hope. So get started, build something, be consistent, be reliable, uh, and stay hungry. I think that's pretty much it. Hell yeah. Um, Joe, TOG, Eric, we uh, we do record these episodes. Are you guys okay with us posting this on our YouTube? Yeah. Right force me with you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't think I sent my address or said uh, <laughs> anything interesting. So, yeah, I think we're good. Thank you, Can you move up? I doxed myself a little bit, but that's all right. Well, I, 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 can cut, I can cut that out if you want. I just got to find it. I, but if if uh, just let me know if you change your mind. I saw your birthday present. Don't worry, no one's gonna fuck with you. said uh we do actually need help on the base base team while i have this big group if any of you have video editing experience nothing crazy just all you have to do is know how to trim footage with any free software i can teach you how if you don't need even if you don't know i will teach you it'll take 10 minutes so if you do have interest in helping the team we do need help so it is possible if you are one of the lurkers and you want to help what's going on here we record like five of these a week and they're multiple hours long and I'm one of the main editors so if you want more clips out faster uh, the more people trimming up the footage the better so uh, the opportunities are there just uh, send me a message Connor or Crypto Mewtwo or whatever 
hundred percent. And for everyone new that's listening in, we do these at weekly Sunday through Thursday, uh, 10 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Mountain Time. Uh, tomorrow we have Modern Society coming on. Really, really excited uh, to have them on the base space. And then Thursday we have uh, Big Crypto Tea coming on. Also, really, really excited to have both those people um, coming on the space. And of course, if any devs or projects are listening in, you want to come on the base space, just hit, the, hit myself up, Super High, Chase, Connor. Uh, we'll try and make that happen. Yes, we want to hear from the whole community. <laughs> Let's go. Um, I think that's it, guys. Honestly, it's been a real big pleasure. I uh, appreciate you guys staying up late. Eric, I'm going to let you get some sleep. Taking uh, out two hours of your time and, and hopping on. And I'll see everyone later. We're going to make it. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night, y'all. Or good morning. Cheers. Cheers.